0: And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money. Markets. Life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show. Presented by RIA Advisors.
1: Welcome to The Real Investment Show. I am Danny Ratliff here with John Penn for Financial Fitness Friday. Thank you guys for joining us. Houstonians, some of you may have gotten some rain yesterday or last night. I'm extremely jealous. We did not. But, um, you know, one of these days.
0: I I was getting excited last night. We had some gray clouds rolling in. Thunder was rumbling. Scared my dogs. One was hiding in the closet. I was like, finally, this is it. I was about to do a rain dance. And then all of a sudden, the skies parted and no
1: rain. Yeah, par for the course here these days, unfortunately. So a lot to get into today. Obviously, big day for the markets with Jerome Powell's speech at ten a.m. Eastern this morning. I think everybody's waiting. Markets sold off a bit yesterday. Yields popped. We saw the ten-year four and a quarter, two-year just popped above five once again. Um, markets sold off, I think, in anticipation, not knowing exactly what Jerome Powell is going to say. You know, a lot of interesting data. You know, yesterday we had initial jobless claims came out a little bit under expectations to so 230,000. Did have durable goods orders down 5.2 percent. Uh, now you strip transportation out, not nearly as bad. Transportation was a big part of that. But you know, interesting data that the Fed once again is going to have to deal with in light of you know you wondered, does Jerome Powell was he changing his speech yesterday as he prepared for today? Um, you know, really interesting to think about what he is going through his mind. And does he say, listen, guys, we have tamed inflation. We are going to be good. Or does he come out and say, hey, we're um, you know, we going to stay the course? How do the markets respond to that? And I think that's going to be what everybody's watching for at the moment. Not a lot really has changed outside of that. I mean, the narratives remain the same. Inflation has been coming down, yet not nearly as quick as what the Fed has hoped. And I think all of us in general, because we haven't seen that Deflation. I think a common theme, I know you're talking to a lot of people, John, mm-hmm. is that, hey, I'm still paying more. And 3% is still 3% over what we had last year and the year prior. We're not actually going down. Nothing's getting cheaper. And I think that's a big concern among many, many households. Are you seeing the same thing?
0: I am, especially when uh – we're we're putting those budgets together for uh, for financial plans, and we're really looking at expenses and what it costs for your basic living expenses to to put all start getting our arms around this data, and uh, those expenses for especially for grocery items, those aren't coming down. You know, it's, it's just amazing still. Just when we go to the grocery store, I look down at what I buy, and I was like, did I really just pay that for that? Really? So yeah, we're uh, haven't seen the prices come on down that on down on that either, Danny.
1: Yeah, so speaking of that, you know, we do have University of Michigan consumer sentiment coming out this morning as well at 10 a.m. Eastern. So, you know, be interesting to see what people are feeling and thinking about the overall economic environment. And I can tell you this, you know, this is something Lance has been talking about for a long time, that we would see some type of pullback. This is natural, you know, just part of the markets. And it's not something that, you know, we should... You know, be as concerned about as I think many are. Now, granted, there's still many headwinds out there. We've discussed them over and over again. I think it's much easier to create a big cons list than probably a pros list at the moment. And I think the conversations that many people are having is that what is going to be the catalyst for future growth? And unfortunately, if we looked at that at the very beginning of the year, we'd have that same exact conversation. Yet, you know, market has a lot of these these things priced in at the moment. Not to not to say there could not be be the black swan event. And I think that's what everybody's holding their breath for. What else occurs here? And so, having a lot of conversations about major shifts within portfolios, uh, people have a lot of concerns, really looking at a lot of fixed income. And I'm not sure if you're seeing that exact same thing where people are a little bit more comfortable saying, Hey, you know what? Yields have popped. I'm good getting, you know, locking in some type of yield for a portion of funds. And I think that's not a bad thing to be thinking about, uh, but understanding what the, you know, the good and bad implications are long term for your portfolio because the problem here is that we want to rationalize exactly what's going on. And sometimes the market may be looking so far out that they say, hey, you know what, the lights at the end of the tunnel, things will improve. Um, you know, I know that's probably a harder argument for many of you to make, but it's certainly there. And you, we have to we have to think about that when we're making this argument.
0: Yeah, I think so too. I mean, to your point, Danny, with at least with the Fed being so aggressive with raising short-term interest rates, I mean, you know, your your yields on the short end of the curve, on those short debt instruments, you know, your money market accounts, your savings accounts, you know, short-term treasuries, short-term CDs, you know, for money that's, you know, part of that financial vulnerability cushion, if I can talk this morning, you know, your cash reserves, your emergency fund, I mean, you can use those instruments to to improve your overall yield on your savings for the first time in a long time, right? And and you know, Danny, as I'm visiting with folks too, there is this I don't know, there's there's kind of a camp out there sometimes where folks are very doom and gloomish just about the just the market and the world in general. And and you know, yeah, I mean we're aware of the risks that are out there, but are hey, are we ready to tell folks to go get in your bunker in your backyard and eat your canned peaches? And we're going to go be we're going to go be buying our groceries with gold coins. I mean, we're we're not there, but are we aware of the risks out there?
1: Yes. So to your point, it's all about balance and it's all about perspective, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think that you have to understand, you know, looking at this year has been such an interesting year because when you look at the index as, as a whole, they've been up. But we've talked about the market breadth. Participation has been extremely narrow for the majority of the year. Mm-hmm. We saw in July that improved a bit. Um, now we're, we're hearing this pullback, which is really, you know, natural for markets in many ways that, you know, you – and you could argument you could argue that's probably healthy as well. But, you know, looking at, you know, that sector rotation, you know, there's an article out right now. Vanguard says value stocks haven't been this cheap – to growth since the COVID outbreak. Uh, We've seen NVIDIA just knock the cover off the ball once again here two days ago with their earnings and stocks only up 2% since then. Mm -hmm. Yet this morning, uh, new analysts come out and said, hey, we're gonna put a price target of $1,100 on it. And so, you know, I think that, you know, markets are getting frothy in a lot of areas there is there is reason for concern or caution. This could be a great time to rebalance portfolios, get a very good understanding as far as what that risk tolerance is. It's always uh, eye-opening, I think, and you know we've been doing this for a very long time. And when you get a little bit of volatility, people really begin to understand as far as what their overall risk tolerance is or what they think it is. Now, the problem is, is that you know we know inherently what we should be doing is buying low and selling high, yet it's probably one of the more difficult things to do for an investor in general, and because when things are bad, we always say, shoot, let's get out. Things are only going to get worse. And we kind of live in that that world where, you know, you get that echo chamber where, you know, you start looking something up and you know, all of a sudden, or you know, shoot, I'm sure you've, you've heard this. You've had a conversation with somebody. Next thing you know, you're getting ads on that specific product or mm-hmm. that ideology coming into your, you know, whatever the ads are within your phone when you're looking up Internet searches It's it can be a uh, self-fulfilling prophecy in many ways. And you you also need to understand, start looking at both sides of the coin and not just one way, because what if you're wrong? And that's one thing we have to do daily is, you know, kind of test ourselves and say, guys, all right, well, we believe this. But what if something else completely happens? Right. And there's going to be some things that maybe you just say, fundamentally, we're going to hunker down. This is what we believe. But in other areas, you may need to remain nimble.
0: Absolutely. I think sometimes as investors, it's it's very easy to your point, Danny, to get caught in this in this mindset that hey, outcome X is going to be the outcome. This is what's going to happen. But for all we know, it could be outcome Y or outcome Z or outcome L or outcome number nine. I mean, you have to be flexible and you have to be able to pivot and make adjustments. And that's all part of what you're saying too, is just really look at how you're invested. You know, how are you positioned? You know, at the end of the day, how much risk are you taking? What what is your comfort? level four risk right all all important things to consider
1: yeah absolutely so when we get back we're going to talk about retirement begins in five years what are the five things you need to do first and john has a bonus for you so we'll actually get to six so you're listening to the real investment show we'll be right back Get daily
0: investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com.
1: Welcome back to the Real Investment Show. I'm Danny Ratliff here with John Penn. This is Financial Fitness Friday, so... We'd be doing something wrong if we didn't talk about some financial planning, right? I know Lance loves this stuff, so he's tuned in, coffee in hand. I think he's getting giddy for it right now. Yeah, maybe he's on espresso at this point. So there's been a lot of talk, and John, you actually did an interview with the local Fox station here on planning for retirement in five years. Do these five things first. And I think we can make a list that's a mile long. Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, there's so many things that need to be... Uh, taken into consideration so you know I think the biggest you you told me the one thing and and I think a lot of TV stations have a tendency of doing this when they're interviewing somebody they kind of throw you you know something from right field you're just not expecting (laughs) and say oh hey by the way and and I always find this you know it's like hey it's gonna keep you on your toes a little bit fun maybe you know you're like oh well we're gonna switch gears here a bit but one thing they asked you to kind of start off was What's the magic number, John? What do we need to retire? When can I hang it up?
0: Yeah, that was great. Right out of the box. Live, this wasn't pre-recorded, right there on the spot, live TV. And I thought, right, man, I had all my talking points. I was ready to go. And the answer right out of the gate was, So tell us all, how much money do we all need to to retire? And I was like, Well, let's talk about that. Because it's that,
1: it's different for everybody. Well, and that's a whole interview in and of itself. I self, mean, that right? could last,
0: it, it, oh man, I,
1: we could talk forever about that. And the problem with television, they don't tell you if they're going to give you three minutes, which goes by in the blink of an eye, or they're going to give you seven <laughs> minutes, right? I mean, you could take a whole segment there on this. So, what was your response to that?
0: I said, you know, it really I. It's the answer that nobody wants to hear, and it depends because it's different for everybody. And, yeah. and a lot of it comes down to really. You know, what are your expenses? What is your debt? You know, I mean, you, I mean, you. we talk to folks all the time. The folks that usually have the, you know, most successful financial plans or the least amount of stress in their retirement are folks that have very little to no debt. So, I mean, it's just so different for everybody. And what's amazing is, you know, I, I know you visit with a lot of folks too, Danny, but, you know, the that number, quote unquote, the size of the portfolio from one family to the next, all is so different. And there are folks that have, you know a lot of zeros behind their name in their bank account and their and in their investment accounts and their financial plans are pretty stressed because their spending is extremely egregious then there are folks where maybe they have more of a moderate means but because their expenses are very well in line and they very to little to no debt their plans actually look better than the others
1: yeah right i mean absolutely uh, i tell people all the time i've told people with you know half a million dollars they can retire i've told people with you know, tens of millions of dollars it, it's just not going to work right um, there's no way to make these numbers you know stretch these numbers with what your expectations are what your goals are and the problem is i think that when we we set that that number is that so many people feel like okay i've got to get here got to get here got to get here and unfortunately especially if we're a little bit later in the game starting off right and i get it we talk to people all the time raising kids life's expensive the things pile up we talked about on wednesday just the cost of extracurricular activities And i know you know that's probably a, a topic that's very close to you just i mean your girls are older now but mm-hmm. you know you've just been through that and understand that absolutely and so you kind of get to that point where okay now you can supercharge your savings but what many people do is instead of just thinking about the savings they'll say well i've got to make up for lost time i need to be super aggressive here regardless of market conditions and so you know putting that number can be good and bad and i think that, you know we always need to have a goal in mind but many times when you give somebody a number at a really young age what happens they yeah. say there's no way
0: yeah it's like you're trying to climb up mount everest right yeah. it's like how, how am i going to get to that number well you just start and you just chip right
1: well it's a step you know you climb it step by step right i mean just like anything we else we do i mean it's but you have to start small and keep that keep that mindset and then understand that you know set goals along the way so i think here's the bigger problem is that we don't set smaller goals as we're trying to reach the bigger goal we just think this is it we're going to get to this point but say, okay, each year, every you know, every six months, I want to you know reevaluate where I, where am I, what mm-hmm. am I doing? Do I need to make changes? Do we need to save any additional money? Is there bandwidth for that? Do you cut expenses in some ways so it allows you to save more? And I think many times because we're just so inundated with these these little expenses, right? Your Netflix, your subscriptions. I mean, shoot, I tried to buy something the other day, John. It would not allow me to buy it unless I signed up for a subscription. I thought. I'm not going to get it. I mean, I don't need it that bad.
0: Yeah, but you can cancel your subscription in like two weeks, right? But of then course. who remembers to do that? Yeah, well. That's the issue. And I, all of a sudden, I, all these subscriptions pile up. You don't realize, oh, my gosh, look at all these subscriptions I have in place, right? That's
1: right. Well, I tried one the other day, actually. I was like, I want to see if there's something I don't know about. So I signed up for Rocket Money. This is not an ad. And they'd give you a seven-day subscription. But I did put it in my phone and said, I'm going to cancel within seven days if, you know, I'm not getting anything out of this. And I was... I was uh I've heard a lot of really good things about you know these services. I was not impressed personally hmm. just wasn't it didn't I know I have some subscriptions out there it didn't pick up. I'm not sure why, and maybe it's the companies have gotten smarter about how they actually you know bill you so it doesn't look like a subscription. but something was weird. I thought this is not. it didn't give me what I was looking for. Um, but I think. You know, that's the problem is that we have so many of these little things that add up where we don't think, well, it's just 10 bucks. It's just $20. Mm -hmm. But what if you're putting that 10 or 20 and you're putting that in a savings account? You're putting that you're building your emergency savings, your financial vulnerability cushion, or you're able to put those funds for retirement. Every little bit helps.
0: Every little bit helps. Especially, man, if you're younger, you, you look at, you know, just in addition to your savings, you start, if you can start a Roth IRA, contribute to maybe your and we'll be talking about roth 401k here a little bit later too but just little bits and pieces that you can just put aside now are just add up to be huge later down the road and the, the kind of the challenge with some of those subscription services too is if you try to unsubscribe you have to find the fine print somewhere and it's usually in like a awful shade of gray color and I have to get my readers on to find it. It's like they make it really tough. Right. And plus I'm just getting older, but
1: no, they do. I mean, a lot of times they don't even say unsubscribe. Oh, you don't want this product anymore. Click here and they send you to somewhere else and somewhere else. Yeah. They don't make it easy anymore, unfortunately. But these are all little things I think that up. And so, you know, why I think that's a really good question. And I think that's what most people Mm -hmm. not in the financial industry want to know. And I think you can extrapolate a number, but you know, Two years ago, let's say you needed a million, you, you wanted, you know, let's say $20,000 from your portfolio, you know, you need a million bucks if you want in a safe asset, right? Right. You want to go buy bonds, you know, you're getting 20 to $30,000 off that max. Now you can get more, you know, we're getting 40 to 50 off a million dollars. So that conversation changes based on kind of what's going on, inflation, where interest rates are. We've been in this environment where, you know, for years, they said the four percent rule now they did a lot of studies with rates so low, said, well, it's actually you know closer to two and a half mm-hmm. as far as what you can withdraw from your portfolio. And so I think we have to be mindful of the changing environment that we're in. And so that number can change very quickly. Now it may be a little bit less, but you say, okay, but everything else has gone up so that that money doesn't go nearly as far. So we have to keep that in perspective as well. But so let's jump into these five tips if you're going to to look at retirement. Um, you know, I think that there's many more we can discuss. We'll probably throw some more in here. But number one was build a plan for your health insurance. You know, what do you see when somebody's trying to plan for that? And especially maybe if you're not 65, because many people say, hey, we're going to wait till 65 to retire. We find out that more than half of people out there, they can't make it that long. Right. Or, or it's it's, you know, I
0: think when in looking at, Whenever we put plans together, Danny, financial plans, typically that expense that can derail a plan or add additional stress to the plan are what your medical expenses are going to be, right? I mean, that's what those, those, out, those unforeseen medical expenses can, uh, or just medical premiums. You know can be can be very detrimental to a plan if you don't plan ahead for that so um it's good to get an idea so if you're let's say if you're if you're considering retiring before 65 years young you know will your employer's plan allow you some employers will allow you to stay on their plan maybe at an increased premium maybe there's like a like a gap or a bridge type of a platform in place where they allow you to s- remain on their insurance. Let's say you retire at 61 and they allow you to remain on their insurance plan up until 65. It's no longer
1: subsidized. Right. Yeah.
0: Or, or, you know, maybe you can util- if that's not a- an available option, maybe you can utilize Cobra for, for 18 months, but then at some point you, or maybe your sp- maybe your spouse is still working. Maybe you can be covered by their insurance coverage. Or at the end of the day, you're gonna to have to go out there and shop and look for a private policy. And it, it makes sense to just look at what's available in your local marketplace and just see what you may pay for for private premiums, for for private medical insurance. And uh, you know those can be a little eye-opening at times.
1: Oh, I think extremely. And so we do see a lot of couples trying to navigate this and determine, okay, if we're gonna retire pri- prior, excuse me, 265, does one of us continue to work until we reach, we reach Medicare age? And that way we can stay on somebody's healthcare plan. I see that quite mm-hmm. a bit, and, and a lot of times they may both think they're going to retire early, and then we visit and say, "Well, here's your current healthcare expenses. Here's what you should expect," and they say, "Whoa, that's not going to work," or it just doesn't even work within the financial plan. And so, know what those costs are going to be. Um, they're typically much more expensive than what most people anticipate, especially if you want something that's going to you know be similar to what you've had. Right. A lot of us are coming off of when you go, you're, you're finishing. Work. You've been on a PPO plan. You've been on something that gives you a little bit of flexibility. You may find that it's more difficult or much more expensive, you know, to go on a similar plan. But this is why you look at COBRA. Let's say that the company does not offer, um, you know, that continuation before you reach 65. Do you go on COBRA for 18 months mm-hmm. um, and then begin to navigate it? That also is extremely expensive. And so healthcare is probably one of the biggest issues that I find is probably unaddressed, although it should be one of the the main issues I think if we're going to retire especially pre65 but then even at 65, the cost is just not as cheap as what it what people think it is and it doesn't cover all that we think it does.
0: Well that's the thing too. so if you're if you're exploring let's say traditional Medicare you know where you know, hopefully you and most folks would qualify for premium free Medicare Part A, but then you, you'll you'll pay premiums for your Part B coverage and you know uh, Part D for a prescription drug plan. But then there are some holes, there are some gaps in that coverage. So to your point, <clears throat> then you have to look at a Medigap or a supplemental policy to fill in those holes. And depending on what kind of coverage you need, well, that'll be an additional premium you need
1: to pay too. Yeah, absolutely. We're gonna finish up this conversation here next segment. John, thank you for such good topics and uh, some, some good content here to, to kind of go back and forth with. So I know, you talk about this every day and so it makes a lot more fun when it's near and dear to you so it's it's all real life stuff absolutely all right we'll be right back after this quick break thanks for tank thanks for tuning in the real investment advice
0: blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com.
1: Welcome back to the real investment show financial fitness Friday. I'm Danny Ratliff here with John Penn we talking about five things you need to do leading up to retirement. Uh, Throwing a couple more in here. One thing you did just mention, though, John, as we were talking about health care insurance and like how that's the elephant in the room, um, you did mention qualifying for Part A Medicare. And mm-hmm. I think that's one thing that most of us take for granted because most of us have either worked our 40 quarters or we have a spouse that's still working um, or that did work their quarters and then you're, you're able to claim those benefits as well what exactly needs to be done to make sure that you know you're not paying for it? because i think that's one thing if nobody's ever paid in it's a lot more expensive than people anticipate
0: yeah if if um so with with that if you're you know 65 or older you're either a u.s citizen or a permanent u.s resident who's lived in the u.s for at least five years you know that you're eligible to qualify for medicare danny but to, in order to get that premium free part a you know to your point if you or your spouse you know if you've worked and paid taxes into medicare right? For 10 years, or then there's four quarters a year. So you have to make sure that you paid in for at least 40 quarters, right? And then you would be able to receive that, you know, premium free, you know, Medicare Part A.
1: Yeah. So, so Part A is hospitalization. Right. Part B is going to be your your normal doctor's visits. Doctors, outpatients, yeah.
0: you know, things along those lines. And yeah. then
1: Part D is your prescription coverage. There's Part C, which is Medicare Advantage, covers a little bit of all of that. Um, but, you know, We want to be cautious with that as well just you know because of the some of the rules and stipulations associated with that and not being able to get care you may want um you know that's a whole another rabbit hole we could spend a whole segment Mm -hmm. on that and maybe we will here in a minute but um so next step on on things you need to do for you know going in or thinking about retirement is pay off any debts you have left and this is one that i struggle with sometimes i'm always a big fan of not having any debt no doubt about that uh but i think if debts used strategically so there can be some benefits to, to not paying it off, right? If you have a mortgage at 2.75% or 3% and you can get 5% in a money market right now, use a little bit of arbitrage, right? Mm-hmm. I think that, that those funds, and also then you have to think about the debt that you're paying. You're turning, you know, we, we talk about this often that you're turning liquid into ice. And so all of a sudden, you know, something that you're easily accessible is not as easily accessible if you need cash from it, Right. Yeah, I
0: think it's, I think it goes down to just what the debt is. And to your point, what is it costing you? I mean, obviously, if you have very high interest rate, variable rate debt, credit card debt, you know, yeah, you want to, you want to start paying that down now sooner, sooner rather than later. And, uh, but so yeah, to your point, if you have a mortgage in there with the rate of, I mean, I was visiting with folks earlier this week, their mortgage is two and a quarter. Wow. That's great. Yeah. Right? I'd love amazing. that right now.
1: Heck yeah, that is fantastic. So really here, you need to set, just like we talk about a hierarchy of savings, where do you save first? What is the, um, you know, what's the path that you need to go down to make sure you're, you're putting funds aside? Same thing with savings. And so we always encourage you to go and look and say, okay, what's my highest interest rates? Start paying those down first. But then understanding, you know, what, when you're creating your budget, what that looks like as well. So step number three would be is, you know, build an estimated budget mm-hmm. for what you'll be spending. And obviously debt goes hand in hand with that. And the more we can reduce that, the more cash flow you have that maybe opens up for additional spending in other areas. Um, so your thoughts on the budget, because I know it's something you deal with daily.
0: Yeah, and I know budgeting kind of can be like a little bit of a four letter word in the industry, but it's important. And you know, it, it, it's an exercise that you go through to really get your arms around, not only what are you spending now, But what do you think you may spend when you're in those retirement years and and you know let me take a step back and we'll spend a little bit more on the budget here you know retirement means it's so different for everybody you know sometimes danny it's i hear i hear from folks hey at this age that's it i'm done I'm not I don't plan on, you know, working anymore, you know, or it's hey, at this age I'm gonna work less. Maybe I still have some earned income coming in, maybe I have some consulting income coming in. But regardless of what your goal is for what that magical age is when you wanna retire and what that looks like, you want to get an idea about what you think you might be spending at that point. And so when you go through that budgeting process, it's not so much about really focusing on what you're I mean yes you want to focus on your basic living expenses i mean what does it cost you to run your household what do you think it'll cost to put food on your table put fuel in your vehicles you know just just to run your house but then you want to look at other expenses too like well do you want to travel do you have philanthropic do you have charitable intentions is there a family member or a loved one young or old or both that you may need to support financially and let's start putting some numbers and some some timelines around this so that way you can be as prepared as possible when you start transitioning into that phase of life and so, you know those those and there's a lot of different budgeting uh, you know applications out there that you can use but I know there's a there's a retirement workbook that we have that it will kind of walk you through all things that you have to think about when it comes to financial matters and what the what what a lot of these tools are designed to do as you're going through it it's designed for you to go oh yeah i didn't think about that oh yeah i didn't think about that either oh boy i didn't think about that and so it, it just helps you take a very well-rounded approach to look at this budget because you have to have some sort of an idea about what you may spend and the budget i always tell folks you don't have to hit this on the penny, you won't, but at least it's a starting point and it's something that you can come back to and change and update as you move forward just to make sure you're
1: you're, you're just staying on track, right? Yeah, I mean, you're going to find that you're going to have trends that are going to pop up, things that are going to, you know, change and, you know, unexpected expenses, those happen frequently and sometimes we get those that may happen month after month after month for a while, but then we need to determine, is this an actual trend, is this a one-time deal? Did you have to replace your roof, mm-hmm. a new AC, car broke, something of that sort, or... Did you just spend more money in these areas? Is there ways that we can cut back? But I think the budget is really good, especially when you look at it. Okay, what is it today? What is it going to be in the future? And what we know today, that helps us kind of back into what numbers you can save. Um, Now, we talk about what it is in the future. When you switch from being an accumulator to a distributor, now it serves a different purpose. And that purpose is, a lot of times, like we talk about, we want to know what your needs, wants, and wishes are. So you need to keep a roof over your head. You need to be fed and clothed and safe and, you know, pay your normal bills, all the things just for you to sustain life and be, you know, do the things you want to do for the most part, right? But then our wants are we want to travel and we want to spend X amount. We have these hobbies. We want to spend X amount on, you know, golf or sailing or fishing or, you know, I'm just throwing a bunch of different types of things out. But you get the point. We want to make sure that we can start backing in because also if we get into, bad market conditions, things are, are not going so well for longer periods of time. We get lower returns than what we expected. Well, if we have to cut, where do we go? Mm-hmm. I think that's what we need to know. But like you mentioned, we're not going to hit this on the penny every single month. Uh, there's some of you I know that try and, and do a pretty darn good job. But just to have that and to kind of keep you within those guardrails, I think is extremely important and then understanding as far as, you know, what needs to be done, what are your next steps if you – encounter some unexpected expenses where do you go and where do you pull that out of the budget or are we just over for the month and so understanding that but I think that goes back to debt too because you pay off that debt and then understanding what type of income you have coming in so we love you know there's an old saying it's like the three or four-legged stool you know if you have a two-legged stool you have income only from two places you're a little bit wobbly if things go wrong but if you have multiple sources of income even better And so we want that stool that's going to be, you know, it's going to support you, not going to have any issues. Uh, You know, we don't have one leg that's way shorter than the other. And so understanding your automatic income, Social Security, do you have any pensions? I know that's a a four-letter word for most younger people because (laughs) we'll never see them, right? Um, But I think it's really important for for you to understand how you utilize these. Do you take the lump sum? Do you take the income? Do you have any annuity income? Do you have rental income? Um, What else is out there and understanding as far as what that looks like on a monthly basis, um, understanding exactly when that automatic income starts, especially with Social Security. You know, we find that more than half of recipients take it prior to full retirement age.
0: That's right, and especially so. You mentioned, you know, pensions, um, you know, just or any sort of you know annuity income stream, right? So something that you that you really want to make sure you pay attention to are especially if you're married, if if you know if you this. let's say say you are fortunate enough to to have a very strong pension. You have a a really nice stream of income there. You know, really, you need to really examine what the survivorship options are, too, for your significant other. I mean, is that pension just based solely on your lifetime, meaning, heaven forbid, I predeceased my wife, and all of a sudden that income is gone, right? Or, you know, does it make sense? Is there some survivorship options where, yeah, maybe your income stream's a little bit less right now, but heaven forbid, if something happens to you, your significant other, your loved one will still uh, continue to receive that income stream throughout their lifetime as well. So there's just like when it comes down to social security and looking at when is in a one what is the right time for you to take social security, how does that dis- decision affect your loved one? Same thing when it comes down to your pensions and and really reviewing what your what your survivorship options are for for those who survive you,
1: right? Yeah, I mean I think that there's there's no doubt this needs to be a conversation especially if you're married, it has to be a decision that you both make. You understand the repercussions if you take it one way or take it too early, um, especially if you're the breadwinner. Understanding the ramifications of a pension. I think a lot of pensions are really good, um, but we've seen a change for years. You know, We couldn't go out on the open market and find, You know, talking about annuities, mm-hmm. you couldn't find an annuity that you could put funds into and pay you as much as what you'd receive out of the pension. And now it's actually more common. You can actually go out there and find something like that, and it gives you a cash refund, so God forbid... You know, the problem with most pensions, I think why many people take the lump sums, because having that guaranteed income is really nice. Um, but, you know, we know there's no cost of living adjustment. But we also know that if something happens, God forbid, to you and your spouse, you pass. Let's say you've taken one payment. Those pension funds are gone. Boom. Mm-hmm. Poof. So you'd be, a lot of people are more inclined to take that lump sum. But what we found, though, is that as of this last year, people have been able to go out and find an annuity on the secondary market actually get a cash refund and get a higher payment which is really nice and you know we can get more creative with things right now just because yields have increased so I think there's a little bit of a benefit to that but we're going to talk a little bit more about this when we get back and then talking about does having guaranteed income allow you to take a little bit more risk with your portfolio or should you start paring down risk as you get closer and closer to retirement you're listening to Real Investment Show we'll be right back
0: Be to the Internet at realinvestmentadvice.com.
1: Welcome back to The Real Investment Show. I'm Danny Ratliff with John Penn. Rich Rosso is out today, so Janet Yellen has left the building.
0: I'm not even going to attempt it. Come on, man. Somebody's got to.
1: No, it won't be me. I can promise you that. Um, Did y'all know yesterday was the number one day, according to a company called Flamingo, for people to call in sick? Really? I'd always thought it was a Super Bowl. The day after, right? But evidently yesterday said the number one reason was stomach bugs. And I guess it makes sense with all the kids going back to school. I know my kids come around like, don't breathe on me. Get away. Um, You know. I don't want the those germs, but yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. I never would have. Somebody actually brought that up to, to me yesterday. A client did. Said, "Did you know this?" Said, I had no idea, so I looked it up. Sure enough. Sure enough, August twenty fourth, huh?
0: I, I had no idea.
1: Yeah, August twenty fourth.
0: Obviously, I didn't call in sick. Yeah, here we are. Here well, we are. Yesterday. Oh, call, <coughs> oh, sorry. I'll see you later, Danny. Yeah,
1: no worries. Whatever. We'll get along, I suppose, John. Absolutely. So understanding automatic income, I think, is really important when we're talking about building out that financial plan, getting a, a really good grasp as far as what you need from uh, you know, your retirement plan. Oh, and by the way, Lance, I know you love financial planning so much. I did update your plan during the break. It's a no-go, bud. Sorry. Um, you're still stuck with this. You're still stuck. Um, but, you know, I think a big conversation, we, we talked a little, a little bit about this earlier, where people feel like at the very end they have to ramp up risk quite a bit. And there's actually been studies showed that if you do have guaranteed income coming in, that, you know, it can be beneficial longer term. But for many, I think that if this is all you have, ramping up risk can be a be a problem. And I always equate it to, and you think about this, John, it's like if you have a million dollars and you make 10%, is it life-changing? Probably not. Is it nice? Absolutely, right? I mean, you can do a lot with $100,000. But what if, you lose 10% or 20%. Is that life changing? I would argue it's more life changing than making a little bit more. And so we have to be cautious with this and you have to understand kind of the overall, you know, this is why getting a big a good grasp on the big picture and understand what is this money for? What are the objectives you're trying to reach and can you get there? And making just a little bit more is that what you absolutely need? Now granted, you know, there wasn't many alternatives here a couple of years ago because rates were just so low. You had to go out and fight in the markets and try to get those returns. And I'm not saying that I'm not you know, suggesting anybody should just get completely out, but I also think we need to understand that maybe you just don't try to hit a grand slam every time you come up to bat, and that singles, doubles, and triples certainly are nice when we're building out a financial plan in the portfolio. So you know, one suggestion within, within this article was start converting money from high risk to higher certainty investments over time. And I know you've seen some success with this. But you have to know where you are and, and eventually you'll find that number that you kind of need to be at to reach those goals. Or we're gonna have to readjust our goals, right?
0: Well, that's it. So, you know, I, I'll tell folks, cause I hear that too sometimes, Danny, where it's like, hey, I'm getting closer here. I, I feel like I really wanna ramp up and take more risk as I'm really heading into my, kind of that transition period into my retirement years. And uh, look, folks, sometimes taking more risk, that, that is not the answer, right? Cause to your point, it can be more detrimental. You know, but what I also find too is that you know when we when I'm looking at financial plans with folks, Danny, let's say they have an age of let's say sixty-two or whatever it is when they when they want to retire, you know, a lot of folks are open to the idea of well, you know, maybe I'll just work a couple extra more years, you yeah. know, just just work a little while longer, or hey, I'm not just I'm just not going to work the crazy hours I'm working right now. I'm just going to scale it back. Maybe I'll work part time or just go find something else. And so maybe I'm not making the income that I'm accustomed to. I'm making less, but I'm not having to fully rely on the portfolio yet either. So I think sometimes rather than taking just, you know, trying to put your foot on the gas and taking more risk with your investment portfolio, maybe work a little while longer. Or maybe there are are other sources of income out there that you can use to help kind of bridge
1: that, right? Yeah, I think that's really important. And, And I can't tell you how many times we see somebody who actually retires and then they're like, you know what? I'm going to go back, I'm going to contract or consult or I'm going to go do something with a friend. Um, you know, retirement's great, but I do miss the environment of the work environment. I miss, you know, having that purpose or being on a deadline or just just achieving, you know, goals. And I think that's always really nice when we look at retirement. So, this year alone, especially after the year that the markets had last year, I know a lot of people went back to work. Oh yeah, or yeah, or they said, "You know, you know, John,
0: hey, I know my plan. I'm going to, I said I wanted to retire, let's say at 62, 63. You know, I may kind of stick around here for another year or two and let, let this kind of market work itself out a little bit. Yeah. Or, um, or if they do retire to your point, Danny, it's usually around nine months. That's usually where I get the call when it's, John, I'm bored. I'm going back to work. Yeah. My, my wife doesn't like me being around the house either. <laughs>
1: Or you see you see the other spouse go back to work and they're like, man, <laughs> yeah, I, I can't yeah. take this. What's going on? Uh, and then, you know, it's kind of funny because I think you begin to see each other's habits and, you know, where you spend money, what you're doing, and where I think a lot of households probably don't have those normal, you know, weekly discussions. And all of a sudden you're seeing front, you know, you have a front row seat to see exactly what's going on. And it's like, whoa, okay, I didn't know you. You spent so much time doing X, Y, Z or um, – and so – I remember, I can just equate this a little bit, when Michelle, we had we have three little ones, and at one point, um, she's, you know, she said, hey, we're going to hang it up, and I'm going to stay home. And I thought, this is going to be great. But then she came up and screwed up my morning routine. <laughs> I mean, everything was so messed up. I mean, I was mad for about three months. I was like, hey, this is not how we do things, okay? She's like, shut up. Go to work. Get out of here. Um, you know, it, we made it work. So I do think, you know, you fumble through it for a while. You start to understand your roles and what, and responsibilities, uh, you know, and, but then you have on the other side of, of the coin, you have somebody who's retires and there's a honeydew list, you know, two miles long. And, uh, you know, they're like, man, I thought retirement was going to look way different. In fact, visited with somebody who just retired, uh, to a lake, uh, their lake house sold their other home. And he said, you know, this is not what I pictured. I think we'll get there at some point. I didn't understand how much work, you know, a lot of these things took, and how much behind-the-scenes things that my wife did that now I'm doing, and, you know, just things that I have I've neglected over the years, and uh, so not spending as much time on the lake is what I anticipated, you know, <laughs> uh, and and I think it's eye-opening sometimes, but you start, you know, you figure it out.
0: Yeah, I think it's and it's just that sense of purpose too, where folks that hey, take they they retire, you know, they're. I mean, hey, I've cleaned up my garage three times, John. All my landscaping is done. All my home projects are done. I just miss the people that I used to work with, and I miss that sense of purpose. So that's part of it too, right? I,
1: I think the, the people we find that are most successful actually they they plan for it, so they kind of have an understanding. Is here's my game plan going into it. They don't just flip that switch. And right. That's what's unfortunate. We don't get that kind of practice or pre you know trial run at retirement. Um, but when you do have that sense of purpose, and it, maybe it's working at your church or the food bank or a charity or you're going to help loved ones and friends. I think that's always really beneficial um, to go ahead and know where you're going to spend time. And then you I think you meet other people like you as well. And so you develop new friendships, relationships. That's always promising. But so want to move on just gonna, uh, because of time here. But so the bonus one we've talked about is that if you're in and this is what I think that people struggle with, especially as you're getting closer to retirement. Should you put funds into a Roth 401k?
0: Yeah. Great question. So, and it's interesting because Fidelity, um, you know, Fidelity is a, is a huge retirement plan provider, retirement plan administrator. And, um, you know, now of the, of the plans that they administer, you know, 78% of those plans, 78% now offer a Roth 401k option. But Danny, guess of the, the plan participants that participate in those plans, guess how many actually utilize the Roth 401k? You have an idea? Uh, I'm going to guess like 30, Uh, 14%. Wow. Right. So the, so the Roth 401k is becoming more common within plans, but I think there's still some education that needs to be done around this and you have to see if it makes sense for you. But what was interesting, the 14% that are currently participating in a Roth 401k, it was a younger generation ages between uh, 22 to 34. And uh, you know, but I'm finding too now that, you know, folks that are a little bit older and they are getting closer to retirement, hey, it's okay if you have the ability to contribute to a Roth 401k in your plan, it's kind of like the faucets. Maybe you turn the faucet down a little bit on the pre-tax side and start dialing up the faucet on the after-tax side. So that way when you do retire and you're starting to pull these monies out of your retirement plan accounts, you can have a more diversified layout of accounts out there. So it just helps you manage your tax bracket when
1: you get older. Yeah, I mean, just that alone, just saying 14% of people actually use that, you know, that tells me we have a lot of work to do. I, I mean, think so, too. We're we're big fans of Roth 401ks. You know, I think there's probably misconceptions with that as well because there are income limitations on Roth IRA. So if you do get somebody who starts making more money, they say, I can't contribute, I make too much. But that's not true of the Roth 401k. We can always contribute to it. Now, is there a sweet spot maybe that you should be putting aside in that? Yes, right? I mean, I think if... Um, you know, looking back, I think many people say, shoot, I don't care how much I paid. It'd be really nice to have everything in that Roth 401k because then you know, you you do your time within it once you roll it to an IRA. You have so much more flexibility. It doesn't in- impact uh, Social Security if you do take it early from an earnings test. It doesn't impact Medicare premiums from an earnings test if you take too much money out. Um, and then from a legacy planning intent there, you know, there's a new rule with the SECURE Act. If you have a non-spousal beneficiary, Your your beneficiary has to take those funds out within a 10 year time frame. That's right. And they're still trying to figure out what the legislation (laughs) means. Are they going to make us take it on an annualized basis or does it just have to be out by year 10? You know, we don't know right now. It has to be out by year 10. But each year the IRS kind of tells us, well, we're not quite done. We're not sure what we're going to do. Uh, They did give us some guidance here just this last couple of weeks saying, guys, don't worry about it for this year. Last year, they didn't give us as much you know, forewarning. It was kind of taking it down to the wire. So there's a lot of options out there. You know, Rock 401k is certainly a really nice feather in your cap, especially for somebody, a younger saver. Even if you're older, I think you can utilize it. But know what the overall impact is to your savings, to your financial plan. What type of diversification does this afford you? And I think it, it's quite a bit when we start thinking about the big picture. But, hey, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Hope everybody has a great weekend. Down in the south, we hope you get some rain. Uh, We know we desperately need it. So have a safe and fun weekend. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for joining.